RugbyRenegade.com, the number one online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Are you ready to get bigger, stronger, fitter, and faster and dominate your opposition? Welcome to the Rugby Renegade Podcast, where we build machines. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Pro Athlete Supplementation. Check them out at pas-nutrition.co.uk for all your supplementation needs. And don't forget that subscribers to the Rugby Renegade program get a 40% discount on retail prices. Yes, hello and welcome to episode 32 of the Rugby Renegade podcast. My name is Jamie Bain and today I'm joined by John Williams, nutritionist with WRU, uh, British and Irish Lions, uh, the Welsh regions, and tons more, uh, and obviously director at PAS Nutrition. Obviously, sponsor the podcast. We've been trying to get him on for a long time, and he's finally he's a very busy guy. Obviously, he's managed to find time while on camp with uh, Wales in the autumn. Um, so, really lucky to get a chance to speak to him, and uh, there's tons of great information, um, obviously, about nutrition and training. So, uh, I'm sure you'll take a lot from this. So, uh, yeah, leave a bit of time to have a good old listen and take notes. Hi, John. Welcome to Rugby Renegade Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. I mean, we've been trying for a while, but obviously you're a very busy man, um, as you'll allude to uh, when you start telling us about you know who you're working with and stuff. And, and obviously you're in the middle of camp with Wales now. Um, so thank you for making the time for us. Um, why don't we start by you uh, just sort of telling us your role with the WRU and, and the other people you're working with at the moment. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Thanks, Jamie, and thanks, Rugby Renegade, for inviting me on. So my current role is uh, with the Welsh Rugby Union as a performance nutritionist, and I've been with them for the last eight years now. Originally started off as the academy nutritionist and then sort of became the main nutritionist, um, which was an all-encompassing role, looking after the senior squad and the age grades. Um, now I'm lucky enough to have an assistant, Chris Edwards, who looks after the, the age grades, the sevens. Um, funny enough, my daughter, just, uh, Chanel, has just started actually looking after the women's nutrition. So I'm creating a bit of a family business here, I think. Um, but that's my main role in terms of performance nutrition for the West Rugby Union, but it also encompasses my work with the four regions, the Blues, the Dragons, the Scarlets and the Ospreys. So I work with them as well, and to me that's a big part of the role, and I think it's quite unique really that um, allows me to work with the players outside of camp, and I believe that's where we can make the biggest changes and also have the biggest impact. So when we arrive at camp time at Autumn International Six Nations, we should have the players exactly where we, we need them to be. Um, that's my main uh, sort of philosophy within the WIU is, is working with the players on a weekly basis, supporting them in terms of their nutritional needs. And uh, so far, it seems to be working well. Alongside of that, then, I'm the uh, director and uh, co-owner with Darren Campbell of Pro Athlete Supplementation, which we set up 11 years ago now. And that was really just all about supplying professional athletes with performance nutrition products, ensuring everything that we make is batch tested and ultimately informed sport registered and safe to use and the, the sort of two work hand in hand so wherever i am working i know i've got access to the products i need for the players yeah and of course you had some big news in the summer obviously your involvement with alliance would you want to sort of tell us a bit about your time with them yeah that was a that was a little project we got involved with 
some, um, <laughs> not for us, it was a huge honour. It was a huge honour. Um, I was involved in the last tour to Australia in terms of um, my role as a consultant nutritionist and was involved in terms of all the menu planning, dealing with all the hotels. Um, I did a similar role this year and we also had the added bonus and the PAS became the official supplier of sports nutrition products. So it was, it was a huge task, um, not only in, in organising the menus because there was a huge amount of travelling, a lot of different hotels, so you, you're dealing with a lot of different people. But then we actually shipped out all the supplements, all the isotonic drinks and all the water. So we actually filled two full containers which were sent by sea and obviously to send by sea, you have to send well in advance. Yeah. So in essence, we sent roughly about, I'm trying to think back now, time moves on quick. It was roughly about 15 pallets of supplements and then about 17 pallets combined of water and isotonic. Okay. So uh, it, was, it was a big job. And obviously the, the, the other thing was, it's, it's not just sending it to port in New Zealand, it's get them making sure everything is delivered to each hotel. So the, t- the way we work it is every hotel has its own shipment and then everything is boxed up ready almost on a daily basis. So you've got your recovery shakes already made in shake and take single bottles with security lids for post weights, post rugby. You've got game day boxes, you've got captain's run boxes, you've got travel boxes, which could be just, again, bars, drinks, uh, food, so everything is done uh, almost to save work the other end. Yeah. So when the conditioners are there, it's basically open up a box. You've got your day's needs in it, and that's it. So yeah, it was a, it was a, it was it was a big task, but it was a great one to be involved with. And you know, I think ultimately it was, it was definitely a successful tour, and uh, hopefully someone will be involved with on the next tour. Um, for me, there was a couple of big factors really. The amount of traveling, um, the time of year, and really focusing on player wellness and making sure players are supported as well as possible. So to help out with that, we designed um, an immune system product if players did get ill. So it was a combination of echinacea, elderberry, and something called beta-glucans. And if you look individually, each of those has got some, some valid research in terms of boosting the immune system and reducing risk of uh, upper respiratory tract infections. And what we did, which was quite quite different, we actually started that on the day the players flew out. And then we maintained that for five days after landing. And subjectively, it seemed to work very well. Nobody sort of come down with that dreaded illness you get after a long-haul flight. So um, that's something now which we're incorporating with the regions as well when they're actually flying out to South Africa. So um, it, it's been a good learning curve as well. So, yeah, definitely something that... Uh, was a, a big task, but um, one that was definitely enjoyable to see the end result on the pitch. Oh yeah, definitely. And and it's really interesting to hear you. Um, and and this is what I like about PAS as a company is that you you develop products actually working with those elite athletes. You know, it's not just this is a product and we'll try and sell it or something. Elite athletes use you actually <laughs> because you're working with them. You you actually do it the right way around, so to speak. Uh, so it's really interesting to hear how that's that's actually worked out there with the Lions as well. Yeah, and, and I think it's a learning curve for us. You know, I'm, 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 I'm 
fluid. I'm constantly moving in my thoughts and processes, and and you have to respond, you know, to to what you see in front of you. And one little thing is that, for example, we we did the recovery shake of combination of just whey protein, colostrum, and creatine, but no carbohydrate. And um, I could see some some people thinking, oh, you, you know, you need to give players carbs after training. But you you, are, you will know exactly where I'm coming from. You've got some carb phobic players. Who, where as soon as you put a carb carbs in a shake, will stay away from it. So traditionally in the past, what I've always done, I've done like just a whey protein shake, but then you'd have an all-in-one type shake, which would be creatine, whey protein, and carbohydrates. But what I've seen over the last year is a number of players who just would not drink that shake because there was carbs in it. Mm. Now, first foremost you, you try the education process and you explain post training there's a requirement for those carbs you absorbed up in the muscle glycogen it's a great time to reduce your cortisol and every other reason under the sun but for some reason some players think i'm not going to have those carbs there now they may be saving them for their bowl of frosties or their coffee and their donut later but for whatever reason right or wrong they won't have it but the big factor i was worried about is they were losing out on their creatine intake and I, I think creatine is one of the best supplements, you know, for rugby players. So I come to this scenario, well, if, if they're not going to drink it because the carbs are in there, I'll fix the problem by taking the carbs out. And lo and behold, everybody started doing it. And I've also, also done it with the regions this year as well. And I've actually seen some really good gains because people have been taking creatine on a consistent basis. Mm. And people are like, oh, I, I forgot how good creatine was. You know, because well, creatine's been around for at least 15, maybe 20 years. And, it, you know, people tend to forget yeah. how good a product it is. And especially if you're not taking it regularly, you're not going to see the benefits. So that was one thing. Another thing that was bespoke blend, and we were actually using that same blend now with the whales. So we use that after rugby sessions, that creatine colostrum, creatine mix. Um, this fruit available, and if boys do need carbs to go with it. And then post-rugby, we just use a protein only. Again, I don't put carbs in there because we're sitting down and feeding them within 20 minutes. Yeah. So that's the other thing sometimes is people don't understand really how well elite rugby players get looked after. It's very rarely your recovery shake would be the only source of nutrition. You're probably sitting down and eating within 20 minutes anyway. So there's plenty of opportunity to get those carbs within that meal time. Yeah, definitely, and that kind of brings me on to the the next question: is um, kind of your overall nutritional approach, um, and and sometimes you find people who who work with supplement companies they they often go supplements first. But w- what would you say your approach is? It more food first approach? Yeah, <laughs> this is where I stand. I, I'm not food first. I'm not supplement first. I just want everything right. I want everything done for maximum benefit. And to me, the the two work hand in hand. So, I I don't I don't draw the line anywhere. You know, to me, nobody should be a professional athlete if they're not eating right. No nobody should be even thinking I need to focus on getting my food right before I start taking supplements. So I will sit down and start and work through everything and say this is everything we should be doing. So I I don't really even get involved in that, and I think. I find it quite strange sometimes that we even have to have a food-first approach. You know, we're all going to eat. We're all going to eat food on a daily basis. You know, and even players who are overweight with body fat issues, they're eating, they've got a problem eating. It's not just not the right thing. But if I can get more buy-in by saying, look, 
if you take the supplements alongside this diet, if that gets buy-in from the player, I'm happy to do that. So I'll use whatever means I need to get the results with that player. I just don't. I just don't differentiate. I'll just go in and say, "This is what we need to do," and it's a complete package. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense, definitely. And this is a question I was going to probably ask later on, but I think you've kind of touched on it a bit now. Um, obviously, you're saying about players who kind of uh, carbophobic and um, kind of avoid that sort of thing. Is it, how how do you deal with um, with players who perhaps try you know the latest fad diet or avoid carbs? It's something um, we've seen a lot with players who, when they're coming to the end of the season, sort of business end of the season, it also um, comes in line with you know coming close to the beach. So they're all trying to avoid carbs to lean up. How do you deal with those sort of things with players? Yeah, no, look, every, you need to see that everybody's an individual for a start. No, um, and that's a big part of my nutrition approach. That you know it's very hard to give specific general recommendations and you, you need to work with each player in terms of a context of what they try and achieve at a specific time and if cutting carbs just to reduce body fat um, for vanity reasons means a drop off in performance and you know you can't have it and you need to find a way where you ensure that those carbs those muscle glycogen levels are fully loaded for game day now there may be a way that you can actually reduce carbs earlier on in the week and actually get them back up for game day without an effect in performance but long term, that's not an approach I would use. I've, I've seen players do it, go go low, train low throughout the week, or just low for game day. My big problem with that is that you're not refueling, you're not recovering properly. And when you're in a particular training phase, especially early on in season, you want to be making good adaptations in training. If you're training low all the time, apart from maybe reducing body fat, and if that's your ultimate goal, that's fine. But you're not going to get a big fitness gains by training low. So everything has to be done in the context of what's important in a particular environment. And a lot of it is just getting that player's trust in what you're saying. And that takes time to build up. So, you know, if, if you're starting with a new club, that's a little bit difficult. Um, unless you're going in with a lot of experience and, and some good results where you can get immediate impact. It takes time to, to learn players' habits and get players trusting you and get that information across. I think the big problem is there's just too much information out there. Like I said, there's too many keyboard warriors. There's too many video um, videos made by people with, with no real knowledge. And players pick up on that. And um, it's all about building relationships and building trust with players. And more often than not, players should be coming to you and asking questions rather than you preaching to players. And if you've got that sort of relationship with your players, then you know you, you should be working on a good basis. Yeah, definitely. And it leads nicely onto the next question: is obviously your time with the Lions. Obviously, you, you've already built up a great relationship with the the Welsh the Welsh boys and boys in the Welsh regions. How did you you find working with the the guys from the other you know the regions or other international teams? Yeah, and clubs? No, I, I I found it really good, mate. To be honest, I really enjoyed it. It's it's. Um, it's great because they were at the Vale for a week, so we had so we had some good time with them there. And I also went up to the um, the first day, the messy Monday they called in, and spent time talking with players there. Um, well before the, the tour actually started, but it, it's it's been really good, and, and a lot of those relationships carry on after tour. So you know, the, you know, there's a number of players now I won't go into names who will be maybe emailing me or, or speak to me and, and ask about products they used on tour they found particularly useful um, and 
should they be using them now um, or just asking questions and uh, yeah it, it's, it's a good opportunity to work with different players obviously there's there's a consultation process as well um, with all the nutritionists at the other home nations so I spoke to all the other uh, guys and girls um, before tour and thoroughly went through everything I wanted to do with players and then fully um, had really good um, information off them and so that made life a lot easier so by the time I come in with you you know exactly where you, you are to go yeah yeah sounds cool um now previously before your time with rugby you've, you've had i think it's 15 years with um working in professional football um how, how is your time working with there I, I know you still supply some football teams and you know what what do you see as the differences as kind of athletes and just individuals as well yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of work in football, uh, predominantly because when I first left university, <laughs> I don't know who's paying uh, any any nutritionist in rugby. It was uh, it was well before um, that sort of era had started, so football was the obvious um, choice to start the career in. Um, I travelled all over the UK, really, working with um, teams in, from the Premiership, Championship, down to the Conference. So, so that was a good learning curve because you. you, you, you working with teams with vastly different budgets so you have to be very inventive in terms of what nutrition provision in terms of food catering you can put on for players so that was a challenge um football players are a different breed obviously um you haven't got the same demands you're not trying to smash into each other on a weekly basis so there's no demand to be so big and powerful and strong so it's more about fitness it's more about recovery and, and wellness as well really there so it is different and obviously the higher the level you get the more money there is in football and when you've got players on huge huge wages they're going to eat out two or three times a week so then you have to try and get involved in our education process as well mm. um so it is totally different, um, but it's it's good. Ultimately, once you, when you're within a team, it's just, it's a team environment. It's the same as rugby, you know. It's it's, just, it's the same sort of dressing room atmosphere, um, and you get results by being part of a team. So yeah, currently now I don't do any more travelling. Um, I'm just getting a little bit old in the tusk probably to be out in the mornings, four or five, on the road up to Bolton or uh, West Brom. Those days are gone past me. For now, anyway, um, but we we still supply over ninety uh, football teams um, uh, from Premiership, like I say, down to Conference. And I think mm. there's probably only two football teams in the Premiership we don't currently supply with any type of product. Um, and many of those, uh, yeah, many of those teams we've been supplying for eleven years. Mm. So um, yeah, the relationships are still there and in place. Obviously, with the official supply for Leicester City in in the year that they they, they won the Premiership, and we still um, do a lot of work with Leicester City and Chris. Uh, funny enough, he's actually now with the nutritionist for Leicester City as well. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, that's working well. So yeah, we've uh, we've done that over the years. Not only provided sports nutrition products, but consultancy service to lots of teams. Yeah, cool. all part of all part of spreading the word. Yeah, definitely. And you you touched on something there, obviously saying with players kind of eating out a lot. Are there any like good tips you could give our listeners on on how to eat better when they go to restaurants and stuff like that? Again, it, this all comes back into the context of what you're trying to achieve. So, 
you know, you can usually split into two groups, can you? You can, you know, your bulkers and your sulkers. <laughs> so if it's rugby, you know, if somebody's looking to gain mass, then it all starts with your protein intake. So if they're going out, you, you know, you, where's the protein coming from? Is it your fish? Is it your steak? Is it your chicken? And then you need your carbohydrates with it. Now, obviously, you don't want to be advising on uh, chips as your carbohydrates, so, so you're looking at better options there. So is it a jacket potato? Is it rice? Is it a pasta dish? Um, if somebody is bulking, I wouldn't worry too much about differentiating between white and whole grain pastas at the end of the day. So it's, you're eating it for carbohydrate value. Um, people get a bit too caught up on that sometimes. Um, it's, it's the carb is the issue, not if it's white or if it's brown. Um, people can overplay that a little bit. Um, the other one I, I have at the moment is sweet potatoes. You know, a sweet potato fry and a chip is, is virtually the same thing. <laughs> There's not a lot of difference between it. So if you go to Carter and Mill and you have sweet potato fries, you know, and you want, you think you're doing the right thing, you, you, you still really eat in a chip. But anyway, that's that's a <laughs> story. Um, whereas if you're looking to reduce body fat and it's weight reduction, you know, then obviously you need to be filling your plate up with some salad and veg. Need to be eating a good quality source of protein, so it would be fillet steak, or it could be salmon fillets, could be sea bass fillets. And then, you know, if you don't need the carbs, don't eat it. You know, you definitely don't have dessert, and you, you just uh, try and fill your plate up with more nutrition. So, everything is about what what context the players trying to achieve at that point in time. Yeah, um, and also the players' body type. You know, there's certain players who are very lean, low body, low number of fat cells. You know they're probably not going to gain body fat whatever they eat so do they need to really worry and restrict when they're eating out if it's once a week I would probably say not yeah. um, whereas there's other, other people who have to be really on top of the nutrition 24 hours 7 days a week to see any results um, yeah. the biggest problem you've got is some people don't like to take that realisation on so they'll think oh I've been really good Monday to Friday so therefore Saturday Sunday I should be able to eat what I want but unless genetics are on your side, that doesn't work for everybody. And you can keep fooling yourself and doing it. But if you're not changing, then you have to take that upon the chin, really, and just say, right, OK, I need to be strict six days a week. Or I need to be strict seven days a week. You know, if you keep doing the same thing and you're not changing, you've got to change. You've got to make different changes. Mm. Yeah, it's the definition of insanity, isn't it? You know, doing the same thing, expecting different yeah. results. <laughs> no, it is, but there's a lot of people doing it. Yeah. There's a lot of people doing it. Yeah. Uh, so it's probably a good time now. We we ask this question to all of our guests on the podcast. Uh, obviously, it's normally aimed at strength and conditioning, but it'd be really good to hear your take on nutritionally. And it's what, what is the biggest mistake that rugby players make when it comes to nutrition? I think the biggest mistake is sometimes trying to achieve too many things in one go and this probably doesn't relate to the, the really genetically gifted player but for the majority of players if you're trying to make gains in muscle mass focus on that if you're trying to reduce body fat focus totally on that trying to achieve both at the same time usually means you end up going nowhere or making very little changes so this would tie into training as well. So if in terms of if you've got a, a young player, 17 years old, and he needs to add, I don't know, over the next two years, let's say he needs to add 15 kilos, really, to be where he needs to be. He has to really go for it and work that. 
So his training has to be specific for that. So as you will well know, there's no point in him trying to run 10K every day if he's trying to build muscle mass. Similarly, you can't try, you know, he may not be able to stay under 10% body fat and have abs all the time. So he needs to actually focus on a plan where he's bulking for a period, he's adding significant amounts of body weight, his training is correct for it, his calorie intake is right, his protein, carbs, fats, the rest is right. And then have an assessment period and then if necessary, then focus on body fat reduction. But now, especially talking about young rugby players, everybody wants to stay lean, everybody wants to have abs or, or look good all year round. And everybody wants to perform on the weekend. Everybody wants to, whatever level they're currently at, they want to play well. So it's like, oh, I don't want to put too much weight on because I'll be slow on the weekend. And that's fine if you want to play at that level, but if you want to be a senior international player, by the time you're 20, 21, you need to be a certain size and stature. And I just worried a little bit that people are trying to focus too much on now and not look forward in terms of where they need to be in two, three years' time. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and now you've touched on it before, um, talking about informed sport, and obviously it's hugely important for, for rugby players um, make sure they don't get caught out with any dangerous supplements. Do you want to just talk a bit about that? Yeah, look, since we set the company up, we, every batch of every product we've made has been tested, um, and it's something that I could never do my role as a nutritionist working with a team unless I knew that. So I'm there after the game when the drug testers come in and the players are signing the sheets off. You know, and a player will say to me, oh, John, is, are you sure that game ready is, is tested? <laughs> and I just laugh. But if I was a company and just making products and selling it to the general public, I thought, oh, do you know what, for marketing, I'm just going to test it and say so and, and give a little bit out for sport, I wouldn't have the same conscience. It if you work in within sport, then you have to make sure you do everything to make sure the products are safe. And that's not just sending off a batch test. And that process starts way before that, way before that. So, you know, when I set the business up with Dan Campbell, obviously the, he's a former sprinter, Olympic sprinter, um, and it was taking quite a, a strong stance on drugs. Then, you know, we said, whatever we do, we have to do things right. And, you know, if we're making a product, we put the best ingredients in, put the best raw ingredients in. So, for example, uh, with our creatine, we only buy creative paper from Germany, which is a, a highly recognized quality brand. I could get creatine from China at a tenth of the price that we pay for our creatine from Germany. But with it comes risks. And that's not something we're prepared to do. So, more often than not, we pay you know, much more for our raw ingredients to make sure they are of a, a quality and a spec where we know we're not going to have issues. And then we we just, uh, whenever possible, we we make a product in form sport registered. And it's, it's really important your listeners understand there's a difference that PAS is not an informed sport registered company. Each of our products is an informed sport registered company. So each product has to be registered separately. Okay. Because one of my big, big beefs is companies who've got maybe 30 products in their line and they've got three products which are informed sport registered. Mm. Yeah, when you go on their website, they'll have the informed sport logo, you know, plastered all over the website. Yeah. So 
people will, will naturally assume, well, oh, it's, it's all informed sport registered. Or they'll think, well, if they test in some of them, then the others should be all right as well. But it, it doesn't work like that. Every product that an athlete takes should be informed sport registered or batch tested. If it's informed sport registered, what it means is it'll have been tested five times before it becomes registered. So you've got a history of testing of the product there. And then you also agree that the product is tested on a blind basis once a year. So informed sport will order the product off the web or they'll buy it in the shop um, and then they'll test it to make sure that what we sent in to be tested is also being sold on the market. And that's really important. Now, every now and then, like the immune support we designed for Lions, because it was a very short window and we didn't have a chance to make five batches of it, we, we'll need to bring a product out before we can inform sport registry. But we still test it before we release it. So it's still batch tested. Um, and then ultimately it'll become an informed sport registry product on the next run. Yeah. But it, it, it's the best way for an athlete to minimize his risk. And it's, it's the only way at the moment. And, you know, your listeners need to be reminded there's a four-year ban if you fail a drug test now. It's not two years anymore, it's four years. Mm. For most people, that will probably will end their career. If you could show that every product you've been taking is informed sport registered, you've done all your due diligence, then if for somehow you tested positive, and obviously it wouldn't be from those products, but if it was for some other reason, which is you're unknown of, but you've got full due diligence, then you've got a chance, you know, of getting that band reduced. Mm. But if you were just buying product and, and it's not tested, you, you're really open to, to problems. And, you know, there's a risk of one in four non-tested products being contaminated. Uh, 25% is a huge risk, yeah. a huge risk, you know. And sometimes people think, oh, I, I need some vitamin C, I'll just go to Asda, I'll go to Boots. Uh, it's only vitamin C, it's only a fish oil. To me, every 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 supplement can contain a risk. You know, if Asda, Tesco, or whoever are making a, a vitamin C or a multivitamin, you know, cost is going to be a primary issue for them. So they're going to be making that on a bulk basis. They're not going to be selecting raw ingredients to be as as careful as possible. So, you know, the the other one is Barocca. Players say, "Oh, I take Barocca." Yeah. Why? Why do you take it for a start? You know, is it is it really giving you anything that you you really need? And secondly, it's not informed sport. It's not batch tested. So you know, it, sometimes it, it it's a constant education process to get our message across. The players really have to be hundred percent on yeah. top of their game, and ultimately, strict liability always applies. It'll always come back on the player. Yeah. No, it's it's a massive issue, and it's it's commendable that you and Darren have taken that approach and and are doing everything you can to to make sure your products are you know well tested and everything. And and I assume that's why a lot of people you know favour you as a company because they can trust your products. I think that's a a massive thing. Um, and definitely, we'd say to any any athletes looking for supplements, you've got to make sure you. It's like you said, it's the product, not just the company that's uh, informed sport regime. Make sure everything's good and they they know they get that from you um and we mentioned creatine a couple of times oh sorry karen yeah no just just what to further illustrate that you know it it sometimes it's about price for athletes as well 
And I understand that, you know, the lower the level you go, the, the less money players get paid. In. But ultimately, it can be false economy as well. So I, I, love, I do talks at all levels of rugby clubs and, and players will say to me, oh, I'm, I'm getting a tub of protein from my gym at £20. Well, for me to make my protein, it costs me more than £20 a tub. So there's something going on if um, somebody can sell you protein and they're making profit on it and that'd be less than what I would pay to get it made. Now, more often than not, you're probably not getting what you think you're getting. So it may say it's got 80 grams of protein per 100 grams on the label, but does it really have that in it? There's a lot of instances of companies putting um, lower levels of protein in and some have been found to have as low as 20 grams per 100 grams. So, you know, you're having your shakes and you're having a false economy, but you're not actually getting good value. Or there, there, there's stories as well of people using of what I would call inferior sources of protein. So it may say whey protein on the label, but you've actually got it half mixed with maybe soy protein or pea protein just to make it a lot cheaper. So it's just, you know, just sometimes if something's too too good a price you need to question it as well yeah definitely um now uh these are oh sorry i was saying about creatine we, we mentioned it a couple of times um you said a very good very good product especially for rugby players um the nature yeah. of the game and you know the, the need to increase muscle mass and things like that how, how what's the best way to use it because there's a few different ways touted around on the internet what's, what's your recommendation yeah, like I don't do the traditional loading phase. Um, I think it's it's unnecessary in terms of um, just places an extra burden on the body, really, and any potential issues you see with creatine usually come after a sudden loading phase. So if if you if you're training and you you sprint in and you, you even just got your rugby training, you probably don't want to see rapid gains in body weight within a like a few days. So you know you may gain between one and a half to two and a half kilos of, of body weight with creatine on a loading phase. So the way I tend to do it is a slow load, just five grams on a daily basis. It takes about two weeks to load up. But I, I actually like to start players on in pre-season and then maintain all the way through the season. I, I don't see any benefit in actually coming off it. Now, the old sort of theory was I'll take it for a bit, I'll come off it, and then when I go on it, I'll get another boost again. But with creatine, once you increase your creatine phosphate store and then you top it up on a daily basis, it stays at the same level. Once you stop, it'll, it'll go down and it takes about three weeks to go down. But when you go back on, it can only go to the same point. Right. So during those three weeks where you're actually losing your creatine stores, you'll get a loss in strength, loss of explosive power, and loss of lean muscle. So to me, the only time you do that is the off-season. Yeah. There, there's no benefit in coming off it in the season. So that, that's what I tend to work with with players, and that's why I just put in I was part of a recovery drink on a once-a-day once basis. Um, we don't see any issues with it like that. Yeah. And you're maintaining the benefits all season. Cool. Awesome. And um, and what are your thoughts on beta-alanine? I've seen stuff saying that if you take it with creatine, there's even better effects, um, or it's like a synergistic effect. How, how do you uh, sort of use that with your athletes? Yeah, I, I, I tend to use bidalanine for sort of six weeks prior to um, uh, autumn internationals, prior to uh, six nations. Um, 
in the regions we would use it over an eight-week block in pre-season where we're looking to get those gains in terms of fitness um it's a great product um compliance is a big issue because not not everybody likes Indian policy yeah which uh yeah it is you know some people quite like it you know I'm, I'm a fan of it before training it gives you a nice wake up and <laughs> makes you have, you have to train you can't really sit around with you where you're scratching and itching but um in terms of benefits for rugby players again I you know there's so many benefits in terms of anaerobic, aerobic, um, explosive power, repeated high-intensity work. It's something players really need to stick with. And a couple of little things. If you always take it on a full stomach, you tend to get less of the thing during the fact for a start. And usually after about a week of daily use, that tingling will subside. So usually I think people, if they can get past that first week, they'll um, they'll be okay. But, it, you know, you're not going to see the actual benefits in training until about the fourth week. Yeah. So it, it's really given it long enough for this. Um, the good news is once you've done about six to eight weeks on it, once you stop, you've probably got about six weeks where the levels stay elevated where you get a benefit. So it's a nice carryover. Yeah. So you haven't got to stay on it all season. If you can do eight weeks on, six off, and then back on, you'll get some good benefits. Cool. That's awesome. Right now, these are these are some questions that we, you know, sometimes get athletes asking us. They're kind of common ones, so yeah. thought it'd be good to to get them answered. Um, and one is, uh, you know, a lot of athletes kind of work a lot on their sort of nutrition plan and get their meals down, and then they they tend to struggle with choosing healthy snacks. What are some good options for healthy yeah. snacks? <laughs> you know what, <laughs> like when we're in with Wales, even with the Lions. We don't we always put always put a snack on post rugby. But to me I I don't design a snack to be a, a snack, it's really a small meal. Yeah. Now the first thing is why can't a snack just be a smaller portion of your of your, of your evening meal? So if you've got if you've got uh, salmon and noodles, why can't you just dish dish up a small portion of that and that then would be a snack in between meals. Yeah. If you made a nice chili and rice with vegetables that again would be classed as a snack you know I think where people go wrong is once they start to try and mix things with toast and bagels and that's where snacks become junk really yeah. I think if you if you focus on meals mini meals then you're going to make much better healthy balanced snacks you know in every meal and every snack you look in your protein element carbohydrate element based on your requirements and then maybe some good fats, and then if needed, you bulk it up a little bit with salads or veg. So the, the essence of a, a snack is the same as a meal. So if you start off with that thought process, then it's fine. You know, you can make life easy for yourself. You can do cold meats, maybe some um, avocado and some salad and make some wraps, little things like that. Um, trying to think of some good examples, um, which are quick and easy to do. Um, the, the easy ones, if you want more specific type snack meals a Greek yogurt with some uh, berries and then some nuts that's a decent combination as well um, but I, I really try and get away from just, just working on snacks because I think people overeat on them and just work more on a mini meal Yeah, and I think that way it's better 
Um, so that's that's the advice I would give on that bit. No, so it's a good way to look at it, definitely. Um, and another question we get a lot is uh, around sort of uh, a match day nutrition approach and and what supplements to take sort of before and during matches, half time and things. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. So again, this it should match day nutrition should backtrack a little bit really from your, your training week so the first thing is you should be refueling your glycogen stores throughout the week so we shouldn't all be about loading up either the night before or loading mm-hmm. up on game day you know really with with game day you're just topping your stores up you know your, your glycogen stores won't be empty come breakfast on game day so it, there's not that need to go massive um i remember years ago i was after doing some work with coventry rugby club and um first day there I was going through the game day routines and um, the player said um, well we currently each get given a bag of donuts on the way to the game um, the car bath <laughs> so I was like I, I, I started laughing I, I, I didn't think it was serious to be honest but it was <laughs> and uh, I said alright how would you how would you feel a kick off and he said oh, I feel a little bit heavy if, I said I bet you do <laughs> I said all that carbs all those sugars I said you serotonin release so anyway I changed changed that and um, they went on something like a 20 match and beaten run now I don't think it was just changing the donuts but um <laughs> It was a nice story, anyway. But <laughs> yeah, sometimes players get a little bit carb crazy game day, or maybe use it as an excuse the night before to have uh, that uh, healthy pizza, that spaghetti bolognese with garlic bread, that apple crumble, that type of thing. And mm. look, I'm fine with players feeling good and, and making themselves happy the night before, but you don't want to go crazy and put a lot of food in your body that your body's not used to. You know, you, you want your digestive system working well on game day and not being overloaded. So with us, with breakfast, we, we, we'll stick with a similar breakfast that we have on a daily basis. There'll be omelets, there'll be scrambled egg, there'll be um, wholemeal toast, there'll be um, um, porridge, there'll be fruit options. So, you know, similar sort of breakfast to every day really and a big thing I, I try and get players to do is keep their protein up on game day I think game day protein intake can drop off hugely and if you think of the soft co- tissue contact um, damage then protein intake is a massive one for, for repair and recovery yeah. and also maintaining lean muscle as well so I try and keep protein intake up on game day so pretty much me then with between three and three and a half hours before again you'd have a range of different protein options um, we tend to put sea bass fillets out because they're very nice and light. We'll have a lean steak mince, uh, bolognese, so there'll be fresh um, egg pasta to go with that. Um, one thing you should never do if you're a player is, is make pasta, let it cool down and eat it cold, uh, especially game day. When it's, when the pasta cools, the, the bonds in the, in the carbohydrate uh, make it very hard to break down and it's not really going to give you that energy. So if you can have the pasta, make sure it's cooked and eaten fresh don't cool it down and try and reheat it after yeah. um, that's just going off the tangent a little bit so the most players then will top up you know not eat huge pre-matches um, I do put things like a little bit of rice pudding on uh, fruit and yogurts if players don't actually want it to typical type meal and I also make a pre-match smoothie so again depending on the game usually the bigger game the less players want to eat so pre-match smoothies then which will be banana oats protein honey blended up um, I actually use coconut milk so I stay away from normal 
cow's milk uh, in pre-match, just in case you've got any lactose intolerant mm. or slightly lactose intolerant. Um, um, so I just had just had Charlotte's calling me. I think they, they need they need stock for South Africa. <laughs> um, so pre-match is is really probably just that top up really not to gorge just to top up to make sure you're ready to go and then in terms of once you get to the game then you've got your caffeine type supplements which should be taken about sort of half hour before the game um, and those will cover you for you know the two hours of the game based on the, the um, life of caffeine in the body now caffeine dose is quite individual um, and there's some stuff coming out based on your gene um, which is quite interesting as well on, on your response to caffeine that might be worth people looking at but usually that's just knowing what works for you mm-hmm. and you know find out what works for you and stick with it don't just think the bigger the game I'll put an extra scoop of caffeine <laughs> or take an extra caffeine gum you know just work with what works for you so we we use the game ready which has got 300 milligrams of caffeine which is which is a good dose um, some players will top up with a caffeine gum as well then um, or a gel at half time. Uh, half time, I'd encourage the use of a gel, but obviously you need to take some fluids on as well. Um, we beetroot shots, we use a little bit. They sort of gone out of vogue uh, a little bit uh, when they first came in. They, they, they were really popular, but now we've probably only got like two or three players in a squad use them. Um, for some people, they seem to work really well, so it's just a good option to have. And then you've obviously got your electrolyte drinks at half time, and then you move then into recovery phase afterwards. Then. Yeah. No, cool. I'm glad you mentioned the smoothies because that's often an issue you have with people. You know, some players get really nervous and, and prefer not to eat at all, so that's a that's a good kind of option for for them. Um, uh, last last sort of question we get quite a lot is um, diet during injury. So, you know, people want to they're obviously not training as much, but they want to maintain their muscle mass and also want to heal as quick as possible so what what your suggestions with your injured athletes yeah yeah the, obviously the standard goal is maintain muscle and um, reduce or prevent any body fat um, accumulation um, but again it's just go just take it back to the individual in, in you're talking at so if you've got a player who's very lean then you, you your advice would be very different to a player um, who's carrying a lot of body fat already yeah. so if he's already very lean, obviously for both players, you maximize protein intake and you probably go up to around three grams per kilo. So for a hundred uh, kilo player, you're looking at 300 grams of protein a day, which is, you know, so take some eating or combination of food and shakes to get that level. But that level, you're going to minimize any muscle losses. Um, depending on the injury, some muscle losses are always going to happen. Um, just to inactivity and one thing I would work on is if you've got a player who has got body fat issue already then I would rather he gets lighter but leaner during that phase rather than keeps his weight on by just accumulating body fat and it's how many how many players or even coaches will say oh look I know he's injured but I don't want him losing any weight yeah now if if you've got a total, if you're totally immobilizing your lower body and you can't do any 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 squats, any lifting or whatever, you're going to lose some muscle. Your legs are a big muscle group. You're going to lose some. So no 
matter how much you can gain in the upper body, you're probably still going to be coming down a little bit. And it's just an education process. I have to say, look, you know, he's kind of a bit of body fat already. There's no point me keeping his calories high, overfeeding him, and him just getting fatter just to maintain a weight on the scale. He's better getting a little bit leaner, a little bit lighter, restricting his calories. Then once he can start normal training, then... I can give him those calories and then he'll gain weight very well. He'll gain muscle better. So I think that's quite important is to really fix those priorities, those goals for that individual. And then you can tailor the carb intake, the calorie intake to go along with that protein intake. Yeah. So, so again, go on, Karen. Yeah. I was going to say you're, um, you know, you're right. But if you've got someone with a lower limb injury and they've put on, body fat and lost lean mass you know that's harder for them to come back from the injury you know there's more stress going through say if it's in the joint if it's an injury or something like that so you know it makes sense that you can keep that body weight down or certainly the body fat down um and it just makes yeah. everything easier coming back you know there's less load going through a, a weakened joint so to speak yeah no exactly it all ties in yeah so you know supplement wise then in terms of again it would depend on what the injury is so there's some some work out there at the moment in terms of gelatin and collagen in terms of tendons uh ligament healing um in terms of maintaining muscle i've always said look i would stay on the creatine because it keeps the muscle volumized when the muscle's volumized this is sends signals there's an increased uptake of aminos and glucose to feed the muscle um i have seen researchers shown taking creatine while injured didn't actually prevent muscle loss but it, it it's not going to accelerate it by any means and while you're focusing on other muscle groups where you're looking to maximize muscle gain it makes sense to take creatine so i would stay on creatine um you may may take a higher dose of fish oils if you're trying to reduce inflammation in certain areas that might be beneficial um it, it all really depends on the injury itself yeah. um <coughs> excuse me and bone injuries, you're going to need to make sure your vitamin D, vitamin K, your calcium intake are, are you know, where they need to be. Um, so that's a key one to focus on with the bone injuries. So, yeah, there's a lot you can do nutritionally, a yeah. lot you can do um, during the injury phase. And a big part of it is maintaining motivation with the player as well. So, you know, if it's a long, long injury, you know, it's very easy for a player to become demotivated. Whereas if, if you've got specific goals and aims and, and you give him you know, a focus, it, it'll help him along. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Right. Um, so I guess the question now is um, what's what's next for PAS? You know, you're working with Wales, you know, a lot of regions, a lot of football clubs and, and the Lions. What's what's your sort of plan for the future? Yeah, I, th- I think for us it, it's, it's going up to the big audience really and, and crossing over I think we haven't uh, saturated professional sport by any means but we're definitely well known um, we've definitely got our foot in the in the door and we, we're happy where we are there um, we'd really like to be able to use our products and, and, and let everybody benefit from them as well rather than just being for professional sport so we're looking at a couple of things at the moment. So we've got our, our drinks listed with Morrison's and Co-op and we're talking to other options um, with protein bars and trying to get the rest of the range introduced uh, across the UK. So I think next year is going to be a really big year for us. There's a lot of energy here to really maximise what we've learned over the last 11 years in pro sport uh, to use 
the knowledge, the relationships and the experience and, and take that out there and, and really make PAS a brand that's known across the UK. So, yeah, it's an exciting time and um, I'm always working on new products. I'm always <laughs> I'm always uh, sitting there and coming up with ideas. So I've got a few in the pipeline. So, yeah, we should have um, probably three or four new products out next year as well. Oh, cool. Yeah, look look forward to that. And uh, where can people learn more about yourself and PS, obviously? Uh, just come to the website, uh, pas-nutrition.co.uk. Um, obviously, we've got a Twitter feed as well, at Pro Athlete Subs. Um, I believe we've got an Instagram page as well, but I'm not involved in that, so I, I, I draw the line at Twitter uh, for me. That's, um, <laughs> that's enough social media work for a man of my age to be involved with. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, of course, we'll share links to those. Uh, we'll include your Instagram as well. We'll share links to those on uh, on the, uh, the show notes. Um, but... Uh, John, thank you. It's been great to chat to you, and I'm sure the listeners will got you know obviously loads of information there, practical information they can apply to their their nutrition approach and their training. So uh, really appreciate that, and uh, you'll have to do us a favour and uh, and get Darren to come on the podcast with us eventually as well. Yeah, no, I'm sure he, I'm sure he'd be more than happy to do that, Jim. I'm sure he'd be happy to do that. Lovely. Thanks very much, John. Um, again for you know making the time while you're busy in camp, and and all the all the best with the Autumn Internationals. No worries. Thank you, James. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. So there you go. A great podcast. And thank you, John, for taking the time to talk to us. I'm sure our listeners uh, will get tons out of that. And, you know, there's loads of information there for them to get their nutrition on track and help improve their performance on the field. Uh, So thanks again. And, uh, of course, in the meantime, uh, subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, uh, TuneIn, whatever. Um, And please give us a five-star review. And, of course, check us out on social media. Uh, loads of stuff going on and of course more articles at the website rugbyrenegade.com keep checking us out there and of course don't forget that uh, members to the subscription program at the website get a 20% discount on um, PAS supplements um, retail price so uh, of course check that out Um, but more podcasts on the way so stay tuned Thanks for listening to the Rugby Renegade podcast. For more quality rugby strength and conditioning information, check us out at rugbyrenegade.com. Rugby Renegade, building machines.